Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series guests and topics. Daman, we can start off and then I'm presuming the others will join as well. Sure, sounds good, man. Great, brilliant. So, firstly, thank you everybody for joining. At the same time, I also wanted to mention that this room is getting recorded and we will take it up from here. I think Daman doesn't really need an introduction to start with, uh, but first let me tell you about the club, the sessions that we do, and then talk about Daman's experience. So every weekend, the three of us, Mushir, Monica, and me, who will be joining us shortly, we run AMAs with we call OG, Asian experts, founders, and VCs, talking about everything from building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. And we focus on different aspects. I focus on growth and scaling businesses. Mushir, who just joined, focuses on fintech and DeFi. And Monica focuses on product. And that is what the background is about all these all these AMAs. At the same time, we also do a newsroom on every Wednesday, which basically covers on all the Asia tech happenings that are happening, among with different experts, and then people come in and join in and give their two bits. So if you're interested in these topics, do follow the club, do follow all the moderators on the club, and we can now kick off the AMA. So today we have Daman Soni. He is presently the VP of Growth at Boat, but if you go through his extensive experience, he's probably touched upon across all industries. He's been in the growth and marketing teams for Mobiquick. He had headed Line India. He has been advising White Hat Junior, Snapchat, and he also was with uh, Milk Basket. So welcome, Daman. It was great to having you today. And if you can kick it off, if you can give us an overview of your career, and then probably we can start off the rest of the questions and Q&A. Sure thing, uh, Pritish. Thanks for having me here. Been pretty new to Clubhouse, still figuring out my ways around it. Uh, mostly because I don't have an iPhone in my, I use my wife's iPhone <laughs> to access Clubhouse. So quickly about me, I've been a techie for the early part of my life, used to be with Infosys for the longest time. I turned entrepreneur in around 2010, started up in the edtech space, bombed royally, <laughs> did a lot of things that were wrong. And from there on, my whole entrepreneurial startup journey started and did a bunch of things. The interesting thing was we started with an ad network very early and by virtue of that, we ended up being the digital engine for in fact, Harvard Business School for India, in even FedEx. And from there, after had stints at Line, where you know we practically launched around WhatsApp in India, had a good messaging war, did a little bit of stuff for uh, Mobiquick, where we were up against the likes of Paytm and that that time Free Charge, Charles company, and been in the thick of things and seen this whole evolution of the growth function happen over the years. I mean, earlier it was confusing whether it's product, whether it's marketing, and then, you know, this whole growth function coming up and driving a lot of strategic and tactical decisions in the company on a daily basis. So, yeah, right now I, I work with Boat, and my aim here is to drive growth from the D2C website that we have. I mean, we are a predominantly a digital brand. But how do we, you know, drive transactions to our website and also how do we get into new categories and new countries? So, yeah, that's that's pretty much about me. And that's a great hack of using your wife's phone to be on Clubhouse. So, <laughs> kudos to that. Uh, okay, so let me start off and set the room as well. Guys, going forward for the first 30 minutes, we're going to have some Q&As with, with Daman and you can raise your hand to ask any questions you want to make any observ observations. This will be a great Time for you to come up and ask probably one of the leading growth mindset Indian people to about how to think about growing businesses from early stage to late stage and well-funded startups. So Daman, to dive right into it, you have worked across and advised across multiple industries and startups. Among all the industries you have worked in, which one has been the most challenging? I mean, each, in, each industry that I've worked in has its own unique set of uh, challenges 
by virtue of the ecosystem and the and the phase in which we are in for example at line we were up against whatsapp at that point in time you know and messaging was just about taking off in india but i think the most challenging industry that i've been in is in the in the payments in the wallet industry frankly because there were multiple players okay and each player had a different goal in place for example paytm wanted to become an end all be all to a lot of things on the fintech place and payments were just an entry arm for them and they were getting funding rounds one after the other and on the other side there was free charge who just wanted to get across the finish finishing line to get acquired so they were burning a burning a ton of um, money at that point in time and then there was a movie wherein we hadn't raised th- those kind of funds and we still had to hold our own uh, against both these players coupled with this was the regulation there's a lot of regulatory anxiety i would say in the fintech space there is the npci there is the rbi the government they while the intent is right the the at the end of the day the regulation that comes out it often times confuses the whole lot of us that why has this been done a case in point being when uh, demonetization happened and upi was being promoted a, a lot of us early players invested a lot of money into developing the wallet and then developing the upi interface and then the government oh, just decided that let's make it really difficult for the wallets to not coexist and they brought in the physical kyc and stuff like that which could have been you know handled in a much better way so while we were trying to grow we also had to constantly uh, innovate and you know address a lot of the regulatory concerns that would keep coming up with paytm it was almost a daily battle for us we would be opening up new verticals for example we moved away from the cashback model entirely for me cashbacks mentally is user acquisition and loyalty is user retention so we stopped giving cashbacks we went into loyalty and then we got into the petrol vertical when we came up with a campaign called free petrol wherein for every liter of petrol and fill that as a petrol or 60 60 rupees we would give 60 rupees worth of loyalty points so for paytm to copy that was very difficult right they had to give, they would end up giving 60 rupees whereas i would end up burning on 3 rupees because of the loyalty points and everything so then paytm would end up buying the holding in front of every major petrol pump so this was there were daily battles like this that would go on uh, when it when it came to fleet when it came to cooperative stores so i think payments as an industry is still pretty vibrant right now the the players are pretty different in terms of scale but i think yeah that's the industry which really kept us on on our toes and kept us awake at night Brilliant. We actually had Abhishek Arun a few weeks ago, who's the CEO of Paytm Bank, and he also probably has a very similar view that I think one of the fiercest uh, industries to be in is the transaction and fintech uh, and landscape, speci- specifically in a market like like India. Moving from that, you talked about and you actually led a line into into India. why has whatsapp been such a mammoth in india and no one has been able to compete with them even wechat tried right but also didn't succeed yes so i kind of had the ringside view of the messaging wars in india so here's the thing right whatsapp had a first mover advantage into india that was, so there was not there's no one silver bullet why whatsapp won but there were actually three or four of them so one was the first mover advantage and this is a, a basically a network effects business right the more people come on to it the more valuable the network becomes the second thing was the simplicity with which it was built it had a very simple user interface had very basic set of functions and uh, remember at that point in time india was just migrating to smartphones we still had 2g as a prevailing network architecture 3g was just coming in so they uh, were just sending texts and nothing else so that that simplicity you know helped them to a certain extent and the third thing was the ux was made pretty simple for for a user so these three things really helped them capture a lot of market share right when came into the market more or less around the same time a few months after after whatsapp and by this time whatsapp had, had not done any pre-installed deals or anything like that that it now has so when line came in line came in so line was an existing product whereas whatsapp was a new product entirely right line was very prevalent in japan taiwan at that point in time and that's a very evolved market and it had a it had a ton of functionality in fact uh, line at that point in time had what we have whatsapp web today line already had it at that point in time it had voice messages <laughs> way back then so it had a lot of functionality built into it which predominantly 
would be successful on 3G. So in India, when we would send a voice message or when when we would send stickers or those big emoticons, which was one of the USPs of uh, of line and line would make was making a ton of money around it. Also, it would take a few seconds for it to load. So you would see that busy button, you know. And in an asynchronous chat, I mean, the chat is an asynchronous environment. But when you're chatting with someone and you're sending messages, to see a busy icon over there when the chat is loading, it it's kind of a UX disaster. So that was one of the, one of the main reasons why 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 line lost out. And we invested a, a ton of money in in building trust with the messaging and showing messaging is cool. We even got in a brand ambassador, Katrina Gaff. Did a lot of TVCs. We in built an entire ecosystem around chat. In fact, uh, we launched games. We we were in the we even launched the music app. So, but on the messaging side of things, WhatsApp kept chugging along because groups kept getting formed over there. So we came up with a with a plan wherein we know let's get groups made on uh, made online. But while groups were getting created, it was again and there was a lot of dissonance by virtue of the network at that point in time. We then decided to build line light. However, there was a huge huge language gap because the dev team used to sit in korea the management was in japan and we were in india so it is in our office to translate all the product documents so by the time we launched line light it was always already 7 months down the line and by that time whatsapp had gained significant traction meanwhile wechat had a different problem altogether in wechat all the product calls were being taken in china the india team was merely a marketing team so wechat could not innovate as fast as we could but so 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 the only way that they could get themselves on to a user's phone was with immense amount of marketing and and, and that's where they ended up spending a lot of money so this was what was actually happening day in day out at that point in time and this was the first time when a lot of tvcs started happening around digital businesses it was the messaging companies who started tv advertising and then later came on the flipkarts and the amazons of the world who started using tv to advertise apresh you there sorry i think my network just dropped but i did hear that tv advertising had started yeah right i think the summary of what you mentioning is that probably i think two things really worked for whatsapp one is that it was a first mover's advantage and second is that it really kept the product very simple yeah uh, and, uh, and it functional on 2g on and didn't depend on 3g yeah 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 okay i think moving on from there how is growth different from marketing is it different so if i have to draw a venn diagram wherein i say marketing product and analytics and the intersection of all three of them that's what growth is all about and the intersection is not a small part of the intersection is actually a very huge intersection so let me give you perspective typically when mobile apps are built in startups founders focus on the core functionality right let's take for example a payment app for example right or 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 even a grocery app right people the the functionality that built is how can the user place an order and how can he track his order right and a lot of the founders launch what happens is upon launching they then realize okay you know what the product itself lends itself to growth in multiple ways let's not figure out how to you know use the product to drive growth so growth has typically been an afterthought for a very long time growth needs to be the the growth part of the product functionality needs to be built from day zero itself okay your referral engine needs to be firing the moment you launch right because that's going to be the pure user that you're going to get it's, it's a user who loves your product is going to recommend his friend who also is being welcome to use the product so some of the best users come come from that so all your growth loops need to be start need to be built from day zero of your product your seo engines your aso engines now to be able to do this you need to have a marketing mindset also right you don't need to have a pure techy mindset saying okay mereko i have to develop uh, this particular functionality so what is the psychology of the user at what point in time is the aha moment and how much time after that should i wait for him to say you know what you loved the product why don't you recommend a friend recommend a friend or why don't you give us a review right and if if you didn't like us tell us how you can improve so that whole marketing mindset needs to come in the third part of this this is the is, is the most important part is the data part of this right uh, having a growth mindset also means that while you come up with innovative ideas you you're not married to an idea right it's the data that tells you 
whether an idea is succeeding or not or whether an experiment is succeeding or not if it does you double down on it so having a growth mindset means you are when you launch uh, an app or you or, or you or you do a sprint release you have four or five experiments built in and you and you you're going with this mindset that you know what three out of those five are going to fail which is totally fine but the two that succeed we're really going to double down on it it's going to be a part of a product roadmap for the long term okay now that's that's the kind of function that growth plays today it has a seat at the table in product it has a seat at the table in marketing and it plays a very crucial role to being a client to the whole analytics team so the the the, the folks that are existing today in the growth function are a bunch of cross functional folks across product marketing and data and by marketing i don't mean marketing ops i also mean designers i also mean copywriters and so on and so forth so daman moving on definitely i think the definition of growth and marketing is getting redefined as things become more digital so how do you build a brand in today's world okay so let's let's define first what's a brand and and i'll give a bit of a story out here We've been very fortunate to be in in places where we don't have enough money <laughs> to to build a big brand so we've been very gritty in our ways to start off with and i think a lot of the stories over there might resonate with the with the folks so one of one of the first things that i'm typically asked you know anywhere i go is you know we don't have money how do we build a brand right so so basically if to just take a step back you know, what what is a brand it's basically a perception of a product service or an experience or an, or an organization it's it's a person's perception of a product or a service right now uh, brand has two two aspects to it one is a search aspect which is okay you know that swoosh looks like the nike logo so probably this is nike the second is the experience okay let me wear the nike shoe and okay it feels nice so this is a good brand i i love it so uh, a lot of focus and attention and uh, and the jazz goes around creating the the visibility of the logo but actually the experience effect of the brand plays a, a far far bigger role you know for the user so the, the the way we go about it in the in the in the in the startup world is you know how do we how do we go to the first principles of uh, of creating a brand one is when the first users come in we want them to feel totally special we 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 want them to be you know our proponents anyone experiencing for example milk basket for the first time should say okay this is an awesome service you know what i have friends coming on the evening and talk about milk basket to them right that's the kind of experience that we wanted to build right so we 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 go out to build you know a whole vip service for the first set of for first set of clients now it's okay as a startup to do things that do not scale early on right we've heard that term right what god does here won't won't take us there which is fine your 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 strategies to build brand will will change as your companies grow but early on do things that do not scale that's that's totally fine write a handwritten note to every new user that comes onto your platform that's totally fine call a call two or three power power users out for lunch totally fine the aim here is to you know let them know that you are an authentic service who's here for the long term drive a lot of word of mouth and the second thing is to build social proof right moment you start getting reviews ratings and you start driving visibility around that for your brand magic starts to happen right your listings on flipkart amazon they start appearing up higher your seo starts getting better so uh, you kind of start getting into a good uh, virtuous circle now you see the examples that i'm giving you are very growth related brand examples not more around the lines of what the user persona is or you know what your brand key should look like those are given okay that's that's a different different exercise uh, altogether coming to the next part of it is the uh, the other way the, the 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 few other ways to to create a great brand in today's world is start developing a content engine you practically need to end up being like a media house right if you create if you if you do a blog you should make a carousel out of it you should make a 10 second video video out of it you should do static posts around it each content can be regurgitated in at least five different formats across three different platforms every day you should be pushing out content which talks about any of the social proof or authenticity around your brand so 
stuff like this will will you know start getting the engine rolling and once that starts happening then obviously you 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 do a lot more of the atl stuff that we see in the market but there is absolutely no need to throw a ton of money to build that logo recognition till the time you do a lot of uh, stuff or, which is basically you know under the hood in terms of building a great customer service talking to the customers building social proof building a ton of reviews brilliant you talked about a lot of things that the growth team has to do to build the brand and it is a new concept and possibly i don't know any growth person who probably has more success than failed experiments which by the way puts the growth team in kind of a dilly dally situation where probably they have to try a lot of things before something hits or they need to keep experimenting constantly so is growth a mindset and culture and can you double on it really work and how does a company or a startup needs to think about it yeah yeah so uh, here's the interesting thing right you do not have growth teams in big mncs today because if i'm in a huge let's say handset manufacturing company and there are multiple departments and i run a i run an experiment which is running into growth and i fail with it fail with it i know my price is going to get screwed up i know i'm going to be passed up for promotion on the in the next cycle my my courage to do a new experiment is going to fall flat so to be able to drive growth it's it's a it's a huge culture thing right you need to create a safe space for the growth team because here's the thing the finance guys know that they have to balance the book the 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 tech and engineering department knows okay they have to write these modules and this, and this is going to be the output of the code it's going to integrate with the xyz system the sales guys know okay they this is the target they have to meet they have to engage with x distributors and y retailers and and sell it the growth guys have no clue what is going to be the outcome right and if there is no fear of failure in the in the team's mindset their propensity to do experiments is going to fail for example we at mobiquick used to do around 12 to 15 experiments a week right and we knew 10 of them would fail but we knew the two that would succeed would hit the ball out of the park and that's how we against ptm but if we did not do those 10 experiments we would have taken far longer to be able to sustain ourselves and even grow so from a from a cultural standpoint right when you say embrace a growth mindset first the leaders need to create create an environment where they appreciate failure and where they agree on the thought process the outcomes will obviously come right now if you're going to judge the person on the basis of an outcome then obviously the whole growth process is going to fall flat before it starts people are going to keep second guessing ki nahi this will not work you know let's avoid that rather than have a hypothesis have data behind it and then run at mobiquick and at mail basket we used to have a failure handbook which is a list of all the experiments that we used to run we used to write it on a, on an a4 paper and we used to file it a physical copy so that any new team member who would come into the team is getting bored with that book which just be lying there and he said just go through it so that you know someone would come and say you know what let's try this in scm this month and we like you know what we tried on these keywords this is what was the result and you know we failed unless you have a new insight we don't recommend running this experiment right so in terms of coming up with experiments also we used to have a very democratic data process wherein uh, people would pitch in their experiments and everyone had a failure budget huh? but we used to call it a failure budget we used to not even call it an experiment budget we wherein we get any anywhere between 10000 to 50000 rupees to every growth team member and say this this is what you can do with it and you know come up with an experiment and the team would take a call you know what your hypothesis sounds robust let's go ahead with it the appraisal of the person would not get affected if they passed or failed the appraisal of the person would get affected as how many experiments would get accepted by the team so that helped us you know really create like a culture where we accept failure and we appreciate the process the second is to keep an open mind where is there is a lot of intersection of ideas for example in my team everyone in the team gets a chance to become the at board everyone every team member gets a chance to become the sales head every month so at one point in time the social media manager will be running the sales right and and running the sales means will be approving ideas will be would be driving a lot of stuff 
so what happens is this person now appreciates what a person in seo is doing and what a person in product is doing rather than thinking okay you know what because of my social media posts the board brand is getting created then there's a lot of empathy that gets built across team members also what happens a lot of cross pollination of ideas and growth experiments come up which is at the intersection of let's say seo social and paid media so it's it's pretty awesome that the ideas uh, come over there the sec the third thing that we need to do is create a a, a culture which has a which has a high learnability uh, uh, quotient if if you're building a growth a growth team and folks are saying okay you know i've made it to this team now i'm set for life no those other guys will never succeed if you get a folks you need a lot of you need a folks in the team who have a lot of grit in them who have a lot of cross functional skills in them so what i like to term as full stack marketers there is these are marketers who who know one vertical very well but have a good working knowledge of the other verticals so you may say how do i recruit you recruit folks who are learners who have a voracious appetite to consume data and you know learn new areas be it marketing automation be it product be it building engines so these are three things you know learnability no fear of no fear of uh, a failure and a constant experimentation these are three things that you know help constitute a great growth mindset brilliant thank you very much i think this definitely helps everybody who's listening in and potentially will listen in in the future to really understand how to probably first pitch build and nurture a growth team and there are multiple aspects to it monica do you want to come in and reset the room yes absolutely thank you so much everyone listening in happy sundays you are listening to asian digital supermovers and daman who's joined us today it's an absolute pleasure to host him and listening to the wonderful stories and especially so many products covered and i have so many questions so i'll come to that in a bit but just wanted to reset the room for everybody new who's joining us please do uh, ping in your friends who would love to hear in uh, on this conversation by clicking on the plus icon at the bottom of your screens and doing a ptr which is a pull to room also if you haven't followed asian digital supermovers already please do that by clicking on asian digital supermovers the house icon at the top of your page and clicking on follow also follow the moderators and of course daman so that you can keep listening to uh, all the great content that comes from us and more importantly have our speakers keep coming back to the club and to clubhouse also in the meanwhile if you haven't followed our uh, social properties like twitter please do that we are also on telegram where we are sending constant notifications out for our events because clubhouse notifications aren't really working very well so please do that in the meantime we'll be pratish will be pulling up for questions after the q and a right Yes, we can open it up in five minutes. Perfect, Daman. In the meantime, I had a question for you. So you mentioned because I'm coming from the financial services world, and I've had the good fortune of obviously seeing the wars that played out, or well, I would actually it's debatable whether it's good fortune, but saw a lot of money burned. But understand the whole philosophy of what happened during that the, the peak of the PPI wars, uh, the prepaid instrument wars that played out in India. I wanted to get your take both as a consumer or marketer a person who's been keenly involved in the entire process from the sidelines as well as from the back end first of all what did you feel about this entire play out did you actually think that this amount of money that was being spent was ever justified and it would ever play out in terms of users getting hooked on now that you look back in hindsight you're talking about users getting hooked on to the 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 payment apps Or, yes. Uh, overall, okay. Uh, to the payment okay. experience, more per se, of you know being loading to their wallet and then thereby using something in in the lieu of a cashback. Okay. So if you see, if, if you go to pre UPI days, you, you got to realize that we did not have a digital payments ecosystem per se that existed in India, right? So from that point in time, it was a huge uh, effort in changing user behavior. So yeah, getting cashbacks done was pretty similar to what. Practically, PayPal did in the US, right? To start out with, the whole thing is we went berserk here, <laughs> right? We 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 took it to one one huge end of the extreme, and that was also a function of the money that was kind of flowing into the market and the kind of cap tables that were being built at that point in time. So even uh, if you see Flipkart and the Snap deals of the day, they went into heavy discounting to create a market, you know, for online transactions, and slowly they weaned themselves off. The payment industry. 
they went down the the path to yeah trying to change user behavior and i think cashback was not a bad idea at that point in time however because of the the whole environment about more players coming in and you know trying to hold market share to to hold the valuation up that's where things went quite berserk and you know a lot of money kept get you know kept getting pumped into this so we at mobiquick took a conscious call that you know we are we're going to stop this madness over here we're not i mean it's not going to be sustainable so let's just move to loyalty and we were the first guys to do that and slowly but steadily now you see everyone's moved over there right no one's giving like 50 rupees cash back for doing a transaction they're giving you do five transactions and then do it so basically they they're moving to stuff like that so the the typical gmv the typical burn to gmv ratios at that point in time were i think around 3 to 5% right at mobiquick we had we were working at half that level paytm was also around 3 to 5% so i think where we are now it's it, it's far lower than that but payments per se doesn't have legs to stand on its own given these even even like a uh, 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 1 to 2% because of the the mdrs which practically gone to zero now you know so payment as a standalone business yeah it's it's quite it's quite shaky but as long as you can build something on top of that then then you know it, it does hold some weight absolutely and daman i think our uh, entire industry hasn't done really great service to ourselves by first rubbing ourselves into the ground by trying to get mdrs to be zero and when they did uh, then we eventually feeling the burn now so Well, I'm no longer in the I'm I'm lo- no longer in the industry, but I I kind of knew that none of us wanted MTS to go to zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we have to say the right thing that at certain points in time, yeah, because the folks listening. But I I don't think anyone wanted MTS to go to zero because uh, frankly there would be no in- incentive in the whole value chain to innovate, right? This Absolutely. Will, this 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 is going back to the good old days in VAS in telecom. Yes. Right, where the, the telecom operators would keep thirty percent of the 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 income coming in and the vast players would get the rest and yes. then you know after paying off your uh, vendors and everything it was nothing left for the vast players so all they would peddle is pawn so there was practically no in- incentive to do anything over there so we're kind of killing the goose right now we're just going zero mdrs and it's just creating a, a weird convoluted beast out of the situation and daman one uh, sub question on what you mentioned about failure i think we don't tend to celebrate failure or in startups obviously the culture of failure should be should be created and that i totally understand but when you go into slightly larger companies do you see this play out very well or does this become insulated to your side of the vertical and therefore your organization that you are able to directly manage or do you see this as a cross cultural pollination across the larger organization So, so there are two parts of this question. Let me take the second part first. So, on an organization level, the way the hierarchies are drawn out, it is let me put it out there. It is impossible to have a a culture of failure to to coexist. How do I how how in the world can I promote a guy who has failed, right? And this I'm talking about the existing organization structures. I'm not talking about the new organization structures like Google and Facebook where they've created where the 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 HR books are created around uh, a culture of failure uh, failure. to be do that to be able to do that in existing organization structures we'll have to practically write rewrite the whole hr book and this is a huge huge change management exercise will take a span of at least 3 to 5 years for it to pan out but to be able to do that we need to have leadership in place which can do that right and we also carry a lot of baggage by virtue of the organizations that we worked for in the past so i think in our traditional indian organizations we are we are a bit far off to be able to deploy fear of failure driven culture no fear of failure driven culture over there now coming to startups within startups yes i mean the culture exists we are all thriving we are in it to win it and if we fail we all fail together you know all, all that thing happens on a daily basis but in terms of celebrating failure i think there's a lot of solidarity today in the startup ecosystem we've seen companies go bust we've seen companies in the same vertical lender holding hand to people who have worked in those companies right and say you know what so what you failed but you've gained so much you've gained so much experience like in startups we love to hire folks who have run a startup into the ground we know because in startup it is more more important it is more important to know what not to do right <laughs> uh, because that's where the learning the failure handbook comes in but what you see out in the media that's a bit blown apart wherein we say wherein we see a lot of folks you know looking down upon people you know they've raised so much money and yet they failed 
but in the startup ecosystem i don't think there is so much average you know there's no much so much short and fat it, it, it's it's far more conducive than what the media makes it out to be brilliant okay. thank you so much daman well i think time is flying flying by i don't think we will have time for q and a but please do raise your hand if you have a question we will try to bring you up mushir i think you had a related question do you want to go yeah no thank you so much daman so far as i said i mean very very fascinated by your content piece was very you know very insightful that as uh, founders need to build out my question was actually related to what monica was talking about and going back to this question of how much is your cost of acquisition and monetization right loyalty is something that we have started to now appreciate in indian uh, economics but are the users loyal enough right how do you build that loyalty is a question but are we because a lot of funding for the big names let's forget the small names but for a lot of the large names is is dollar funding so are we spending in dollars and earning in rupees is that mindset changed or is there a, or am i saying assuming this is wrong that the mindset is on uh, you know uh, you're invested in dollars but you're earning in uh, rupees so you know that there are two questions there so this is a case this is a problem of plenty right moment a company raises more capital what than than what they require the laziness in innovation definitely sets in this happens to any human right so if 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 the cap table has been created wherein there's a huge amount of money that's poured in yeah i mean you you tend to overspend on a bunch of uh, activities right out of hubris but we all know that that set of companies is very small right overall we've seen i mean at least i've seen indian entrepreneurs really try to stretch the rupee as far as they can right i, I don't think the whole ecosystem i would say the majority of the ecosystem is trying to stretch the money the the, the best that they can right the 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 overspending we see is is right in front of us i mean we see five holdings being bought in the same place we we know that stupidity to to quite a lot of extent so what you're saying what you're saying the problem that is states that you're stating is 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 pretty localized right the second part of the problem you said is is an indian user loyal right now i would say the indian user is not that loyal to a developed economy loser user but he is loyal to us to quite a lot of extent folks are loyal to let's let's take a homegrown example to an ola or an uber right and because and why are they loyal not because the the cab is cheaper that probably is is just one of the reasons but the second is dependability right each one has their dissonance with with an ola or an uber but the folks who are loyal to one particular brand saying that yes i know i can get in i look for it right if if uber also does the same thing i think a lot of these guys will continue will continue using that the second thing is we are creatures of habit right so the the folks who have paucity of time are you know succumbing to not succumbing you know, they they are loyal to the the that they signed up for the payment app that they signed up for right folks who have ample time at hand which is a huge amount of population they are still in experiment mode right so to expect loyalty from them at this stage in uh, uh, at this stage in life would be a bit unfair because they are still trying to figure out you know is this the best product for me and now for uh, for us since there's a, there's a, there's a huge information arbitrage that exists in india even still so so this huge population is moving from one platform to the other so we tend to you know just say ki you know people are not loyal but that's not the case at mail basket we seen you know <laughs> repeat rates which are which are crazy even post lockdown even even before lockdown so i mean there there, there is a tremendous loyalty built into the system Thanks for answering the question, Pratisha. What you? Thanks, Ushir. Akriti, go ahead with your question. Hey, Daman. Thank you so much uh, for all the insights. I think you know I love the way that you shared with us uh, on each of the questions. Three kind of takeaways. My question is: How do you price for new products and services, and decide where the limit for experimentation should be without hampering users? Because sometimes there are no benchmarks. For these kind of uh, services that you may bring, yes. Yeah, so you'll have your dominant pricing in place already, right? If you want to do uh, a test on the pricing, you go the A B route. You, I mean, depending on what uh, kind of business you're running in, if you're running a multi-city kind of business, so then you can easily play with pricing, saying that okay, I can do something for Nagpur and something for uh, some some other sort of pricing for Mumbai, and you see how the user reacts and 
you know, what the take up is and what the, what the retention is. Other than that, I would just say do, an, do a quick AB on an AB test on pricing. You'll, 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 you'll get your, you know, results pretty, pretty fast. I would never do research-oriented pricing because what people say and what the people do is completely different thing. They're saying, huh, if you, if, you, if you give them like X percentage off or a certain thing, like, yeah, yeah, I'll buy it. But then when it actually is off, you'll see very few people clicking the buy button. So, I mean, talk is cheap. So, uh, I would say to figure out pricing, do, do A-B tests and, uh, you know, just go hard after what the data tells you. Thank you. We probably have 10 minutes to close the room before we let Daman go. If you have anybody, any questions, do raise your hand. But I think Daman doing some research on you and your talks, there are a few things, a few hacks that I saw which were very interesting to me. And honestly, as you said, if you don't have money, everybody thinks that you need money to you know, get yourself started off. But there are a few hacks which you mentioned. Probably you really don't need so much of money to actually get yourself out there. So let me just get your thoughts on how you think about referral programs. So referral programs are one of my my favorite programs. So with with referral program, I'll, I'll I'll leave this thought with you. So people referring need need an incentive, right, to refer. Now that incentive does not always have to be a monetary incentive. We've kind of ingrained into ourselves that if I refer someone, I'll get cash back or I'll get some money. Right, that's the best referral. To do. No, that's probably one of the ways to do it. What are the different incentives that can you that you can give to someone? You can give psychological incentives. You can give social incentives. You can give monetary incentives. So let me give an example from Mill Basket. Right, in in, in Mill Basket, we would go after certain buildings that we will deliver. So Mill Basket, the the, the model is uh, you you order anything, uh, you just add whatever you want. Uh, to, to your basket till 11 o'clock at night and 7 o'clock, we deliver that, that bag to you outside your door and we don't ring the bell. So morning when you wake up, you open the door, your, your, your bag is there, right? And so we wanted uh, to cater to only buildings because the business model allowed us to, and if you, if you just start catering to any building, we couldn't stack up because we would fill up a tempo with, with, with goods and go to a particular building and then, then that tempo would break even. So we wanted more and more people in the building rather than more and more people in a locality. Now, if I run a referral program wherein I say that, Prajish, why don't you recommend your neighbor and I'll give you 200 rupees. Prajish will feel a bit weird knowing that his neighbor knows that he's earning 200 rupees just by you signing up. It, it looks kind of cheap, right? I mean, and we cater to affluent societies predominantly where, you know, the cost of the minimum cost of a house is at least a crore. So it, it would look a bit, a bit cheap. So what we did is we flipped it around. We said that, Prithish, why don't you recommend your neighbor? And the moment your neighbor signs up, we'll send him a housewarming gift saying, this is from Prithish, which will be a box of goodies worth 200 rupees. Biscuits and chocolates and stuff like that. Now, Prithish is not getting anything in this, right? The, neighbors, the neighbor is signing up and the neighbor is getting the, the goodies. Prithish is getting social status. You know, that, you know, he's recommended something good for me. And, and you know what? He's, he's also sent me a gift. So the incentive that Pritish had was a social incentive rather than a monetary incentive. This was a big hack for us. This got us a huge number of users. Our referral program earlier, we started, we used to experiment, let's give 50 rupees, let's give 500 rupees, so let's give 100 rupees. We just flipped it around, right? And so, 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 so when you think of referrals, always think of referrals with any, it should satisfy any of the three incentives, monetary, social, or psychological. And psychological incentives also, you can do a ton of things. You can do gamification into that and, you know, build ton of stuff saying that you referred so many people, your friend has served, uh, referred uh, XYZ people. This works very good for gaming apps and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's using referral. Again, you can do tons of uh, A-B testing on this. You can build the whole referral engine in-house or you can, access some of the tools, get started with that while you build your own. So the one thing about referral systems you have to realize in India is fraud, right? Anything which is too easy will get gamed. So that's that's something you need to give a watch out for. Brilliant. Before I go to my next point, Gaurav, you have a question? Go ahead. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me here. Well, currently, we are building an app called Kaga Scanner. My, my question to you is, while you worked with Mobiquake and now with Boat, like, are there any specific learnings or something that you have learned around growth for building for that Bharat user that is now so much coming up after the geo revolution as well? So do you have any specific learnings around growth or something like that? 
Yeah, the the best example I saw for this for this. So I I consult a couple of companies who are targeting SMEs or Bharat as you call it. So one of the 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 awesome hacks that I saw was, and I don't know how well it is working, but my my spidey sense is it's it should be doing well. Was I think I saw it in Kata Book. They have this functionality wherein you go into that and it it has all photos of it has religious photos with the good morning written on it or good evening written on it. And when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, you know, the, the the SME folks. This is one message that we practically get from almost every one of them, uh, a, a good morning or or a good evening message with a. And uh, so they've created this thing. So they've what so bas- basically the this was just to increase the use case of of what they have, and also to get the user to come in, send a photo which is branded of I think Khada Book, and to get that proliferated. In terms of referral. For uh, Bharat, so referral for Bharat is is pretty easy. Social benefits, monetary benefits, both work awesomely well. But if you have to look at the the SME front, okay, it's 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 SME markets in India are typically zero sum games, right? The auto uh, the auto spare part guys will all be together. So you have to buy one one wheel, right? You'll if you buy it from one person, the other guy is going to lose this. So someone recommending you to then to the neighboring shop is is actually going to be very difficult right it 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 may not happen what you what you want to do is you know put referral into the agencies that you you want to build your incentive mechanisms over there build your referral mechanism over there rather than at the end user level got it got it daman that was a great answer and and yes that's the the share chat sort of a content right the, that gets shared in the groups and whatsapp Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 WhatsApp content rather, not the not the share chat per se. Yeah, the WhatsApp. Correct, content. correct, correct. Got it. Thank you for the answer, Daman. Thank you, Daman. You had actually uh, mentioned it earlier when we started off, but I wanted to come back and probably pick your brain a bit on this. How should actually growth teams think about creating content, and what should be the strategy, especially when they are limited on bandwidth and in-house resources? Like should they outsource it? Should they get a content person? How should they think about it? Okay, so so content for me, you need to have a content engine in place, right? Now it's easier said than done. So content, the way I think of it, I think of it as uh, top, mid, and bottom funnel content. So let me give you the example for both. The top funnel content is how to buy a phone under five thousand rupees, right? We generate a lot of content around that. Top five companies who will who who do good headphones. Then mid funnel content is 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 a Bose headphone good? Does Bose headphone have noise cancellation? So on and so forth. Bottom funnel content is where can I get the cheapest Bose earphones? So then they are going to marketplace versus website versus retail kind of thing. What are the what is the warranty around around Bose products? So these three different kinds of content require. very different strategies right depending on where you want to where the growth team wants to focus on if it's top of the funnel content obviously i'm going to go to the social media i'm going to create a lot of posts i'm going to do stuff like that right so you you need to then create efforts around around that right for example for mid funnel content we work a lot with reviewers right as and when it launches we we make sure that there are at least 20 30 review videos that are available on youtube because that's what the buying behavior is right it's not a, a, a linear approach where in the person comes to the website sees the product buys it he keeps coming back keeps going to youtube so on and so forth so in terms of scaling up in india there's a there's an army and i said there's an army of freelance content developers you need to find out the right space and the right incentive mechanism to work with freelancers on this if you try to create your own content engine entirely at home you'll end up with around 40 to 50 people yeah you don't need that kind of a stuff creating content you know freelancing some of the work outside keeping some of the core stuff inside it's uh, is pretty good for example all seo content i've got it in house right we want to make sure we we are on top of the keywords we don't want uh, a huge lag time because every day that I, i i bring a keyword up i know i get incremental traffic so I want to keep that in house. Top of the funnel content, we want to keep in house because we are really now we are at a stage wherein we know we cannot write one wrong word about the brand, right? But a lot of auxiliary content we 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 tend to outsource. So as a startup, you know, start with any content, right? 
start with top top funnel bottom funnel mid funnel see what's working more importantly once you write content you have to figure out distribution i think that is equally tricky right you need to leverage every possible medium out there and see what is what is taking right the organic reach of a insta and a facebook are dismal as of today so to count on them to distribute your content would be a folly so you would need your own set of internal influencers external influencers who can cross post like you need to hack your way through each of the social platforms wherein you know like in linkedin in the first 10 minutes if you get x amount of comments or like you know it's going to uh, end up getting you x amount of views so you got to do all that stuff it's 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 a full time job okay but once you once you start out figure out a small piece of the problem start writing content whatever it is you have to keep writing your first uh, 50 pieces of content will be piece of shit totally fine not a problem keep writing it keep enhancing it if, after a year if you feel that what i wrote was crap delete it or if it got enough seo juice rewrite the whole thing again right so we rewrite a lot of our blogs yeah almost on a monthly basis we figure out oh shit what did we write yeah this <laughs> two and a half years ago we were writing about bluetooth that's not even relevant now everything is bluetooth right <laughs> it's not a differentiator so then we write about something else brilliant before i get gorav gupta to uh, ask his question i wanted to mention to everybody here that everybody should actually follow daman's blog himself it's amazing it's damansony.com i've got that right it's it has growth playbooks it has his pieces of learning so i think definitely you should sign up for his blog the last question i have before we get into a rapid fire is what do you think about clubhouse growth strategy in the last few months have been explosive but now everybody is seeing it slowing down so what are you what are your views about clubhouse and its growth strategy and where is it going from here i think clubhouse's biggest growth strategy was the a16z investment <laughs> and their vcs promoting it left right and center specifically andrew so i think that was you know they had one of the best growth guys as a vc investor on their team so they had that part another another unique thing what they did which i think which i don't know why not anyone has done is and people talk about it so so that is like a a short short way of driving growth you know andrew is going to tweet about it and guys are going to download it and i'm not even talking about the the waiting game and everything that's uh, super super humans done it and superman has done it and a bunch of other guys have done it right so wo to abhi table stakes ho gaya but the thing that they've really done which drives a lot of word of mouth is the app icon right so clubhouse is in the creator community building realm right so the 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 icon changes to one of the top creators every month or every or every sprint i think that generates a whole lot of conversation in that particular vertical i don't know by design if they choose someone from a different vertical every month or it actually is a new person but i think these small things have have really worked very well for them well this you know the success is so great that almost everyone wants to build a build a clubhouse now right microsoft building one with linkedin and so i think for them for them to keep going i think they are missing out on the biggest growth hack yeah which is getting onto android that's that's when the numbers will will really really explode brilliant yes i think two months out we are two months out for android and just just to plug in there i was having a call with a friend of mine who is in this space and thinking about clubhouses and investment and so on and so forth and he his assumption is that clubhouse will eventually you know not work out and my response was 100 million from a16z they will not let it die so soon so <laughs> i which probably correlates to what you had mentioned great i think monica if you can reset the room and then get gorov to ask his question that would be great absolutely thank you so much and brilliant insights from daman thank you everyone for joining us on this sunday and hopefully you have your cups of coffee ready and uh, please do follow us on asian digital supermovers if you haven't done so already also follow the speakers and the mods so that you can get constant notifications also wanted to let you know that while the clubhouse notifications are being revamped and you must be receiving many many of them the reason i ask you to follow the moderators and speakers is that when they go live at least you will know 
know that there is excellent content coming up and in this endeavor we are also bringing to you uh, just like we did yesterday and today in the Asian Digital Supermovers we have Mushir who is coming up with uh, a great talk with Srinivasan Jain who is the Managing Director of SBI Mutual Funds India's largest mutual fund house who is coming to us on uh, coming on the channel on Tuesday 6.30pm where he talks about wealth management and there will be a slew of questions that we can ask him apart from his daily duties and his obviously his day job he's been pioneering some fintech uh, efforts in the country as well and he's done an absolutely brilliant job in trying to make mutual funds sahi hai so he talks about that campaign and uh, what it takes to uh, actually get wealth in the hands of a billion Indians so you are, must join that also, for any upcoming calendar-related updates and anything else that you might want to know from us, we've set up our social calendar, our social media properties now, specifically Twitter, Telegram, and LinkedIn. Please do give us a quick follow. If you wanted to and you haven't followed us on Twitter already, please do that. We have some questions coming in on Twitter, but I don't think we'll have the time to take them right now. On LinkedIn, we'll be announcing more updates uh, of speakers. If you had any speaker recommendations, you can let us know as well. And please do join us on Telegram. We uh, are building a community and you will know first when events are happening. Also, if you haven't pinged your friends already to the room, please do that by clicking on the plus icon at the bottom of your screens and uh, having others join in the last half of this conversation where they can also listen to what we've been discussing and probably share their coffee updates with us in terms of what has worked for them in terms of growth hacks and uh, if there are any more questions then please do raise your hands and come up on stage Pritish, did i miss anything no that was brilliant uh, that was a brilliant plug so thank you very much gaurav you're next you have a question yeah hi thanks for getting me so I work in fashion and, you know, especially in last post-COVID, you know, we've all moved digital and I'm in the high-end sector where we're doing mainstream designer wear. And I just want to ask this question with Daman. You spoke about content, you know, in all the funnels. So one thing is, you know, in Indian fashion, everything looks the same. You know, we are, there is no, there is no difference here in terms of what is, what are we actually talking about? And what do you think, how much is the quality, like, is it only the numbers which matter or it's the quality more important? Because what's happening in our case is we focus too much on quality. We are generating content in-house. A, it's very slow. It takes a long time and we are a very small organization. And B, we play in only a very niche kind of a space. So I think it's either too refined or either people don't get it. So I personally think it's the consumption is of very mediocre quality content. So if you're doing something more intelligent, you know, uh, you're really nowhere. You don't get noticed. So I'll, I'll give my personal journey <laughs> to help you answer the question. But TLDR, quality over quantity any day. So when I started, so I used to write a lot early on, right? And I used to write a lot of marketing and growth. And I used to write a lot of strategy-oriented stuff, right? And then I realized that it's not resonating with a lot of folks, right? So I experimented with writing something which is which was first principles, right? Which was talking about how do I build a brand or something like that, you know, and here are the, here are the five steps to do it. So I said, it's, uh, you know, the, the, let me try to see, talk to the young marketeer. Once I started writing like this, I started getting a lot of calls coming in from the CMOs and the CXOs who I, who was, I, for whom I was originally writing the strategy driven content. It actually turned out that people wanted more of what to do yeah, rather than, you know, uh, the overall strategy. Everyone said that they knew the strategy. They didn't know what, what what needs to be done. So then I started writing a lot of stuff on really okay. Okay, uh, you want to do marketing automation. This is how you go and evaluate this thing. You want to you you, uh, you you want to write a thank you page. These are five things you need to do. You know that kind of stuff. And so what I'm trying to trying to get at is probably the content that you're writing, the user persona that you have in mind. You're thinking that he wants a particular kind of content. Probably you want to just, uh, you know, go orthogonal and, and write some other kind of content for that person in your realm, but in a very different way. Okay, probably you want to convert it, convert the format of the content into a listicle or into a, a PDF carousal. Probably that will start doing well, right? But at the end of the day, quality trumps quantity. Okay, the, 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 like for a uh, boat, we wrote one cont uh, content piece about a guide to buying earphones. That one piece of content 
ended up getting us far more views than the last 20 or 30 blogs we put together and we then realized you know let's put in a lot more thought let's reduce the number of you know uh, content pieces that we that we want that we want to bring out but let's make it really meaningful for the for for the person the other thing that you need to figure out is what is the problem that you're trying to solve for the reader now this is this sounds like motherhood and apple pie statement but it's not right quite often we feel that you know our our readers well traveled he wants to know about what the next thing in fashion is no probably he wants to know as simple as where do i get an economical summers t-shirt tell me about that which is very trendy looking and what's the trend these days so if if you i'm not saying i'm not saying the answer is dumbing down your content i think the answer is taking a different approach for your content and another way to do this so we've not gotten into ab testing our content right now but i think that that'll really work so the the these guys do it very good the the newsletter in the us morning brew they ab test their content awesomely well and there's a reason why they they got a huge number of subscribers right they before the the headline goes out they they they've done 10 headlines they've tested it on around you know 100 200 people and then they they shoot they shoot out the 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 one that wins so i think keeping your content relevant going quality over quantity and just rethinking what the user might want to read may may you know get you in their uh, in their good wishes thanks thanks i think that's sweet thanks gorav aditi if you want to ask your question quickly before we close the room yeah thanks sudesh quick question hey daman thanks uh... for this interesting conversation making my sunday awesome so i had a quick uh, question around influencers you mentioned that a lots of influencers in the market today and we've also seen that influencers today talk about brand a but tomorrow might talk about brand b and these could be in the same product category so how do you really look at which is the right influencer and how do you really build uh, content with influencers okay so we look at influencers into three main buckets one is the brand ambassadors right that we that we work with and over there also we kind of gone gone in the completely different way you know when we started when aman and gang started saying okay you know we're looking for a brand ambassador folks said you know choose the choose one correctly and stuff like that today we have eight brand ambassadors <laughs> so we went in a completely different direction and we said we're not going to sign them regularly we're going to sign a very different kind of a deal with them then there are mega influencers these are people who have a huge following on the social media and there are then there are micro influencers we have three different engines working with these three set of influencers at any point in time okay on a on a given uh, month we have a target that we want to drive so many total impressions right from influencers and we do not count our brand ambassadors in that because that's like bonus okay if someone tweets about us that's that, that's pretty awesome but the whole engine that we are that we are rolling is each one of these influencers has a particular engagement rate the kind of content that they are doing resonates with the content that we want to do with them and then we go ahead and we start pitching pitching it to them it's a very strenuous effort it's almost impossible for me to talk to my influencer marketing person anytime during the week because for every campaign we we engage x number of influencers mainly micro influencers right for them to propagate our product now let me give you uh, an insight the influencer posting will not sell your product it will create awareness about your product if you are thinking the influencer post will actually get the user to click on the buy button no the user will have to be hit with at least five to six different ki- kinds of content or five to six different times with your content through different avenues before it makes a decision to buy right so influencer is just one part of the game and a very very powerful part of the game so for us the way we go about choosing influencers is each influencer has a waxing and a waning cycle right for example a certain set of influencers were very popular last august september we know they are not they don't create that much buzz right now and even they know about it so they are reworking their strategy to come up with a new content strategy for themselves so that they can make themselves relevant again so we work with influence influencers who are on the up at any point in time and i think even influencers respect that saying that you know there are cycles it's not that you you sign up an influencer for the next 2 years right there are very india may there are like three or four influencers who are just doing that also the the, the issue with that is if, if an influencer is promoting 15 different brands you do realize every alternate day he has to promote a brand and the user then knows he is peddling stuff right he's not 
is not actually creating content which i'm going to like so work with influencers fully acknowledging whether their engagement level is on the up or not and now there are ample tools available in the market right which measure influencer engagement on a month to month basis i would suggest invest in one of these tools they they are saas products they don't break the bank but having data at hand to work with influencers is something which is going to be of a big asset rather than you know second guessing whether they're doing well or not Hey, thanks, Zaman. I think uh, that helps as a starting point. But my question is more about how do you differentiate your content versus com when you're because same influencers are used by different brands. Maybe uh, interest of time, I can connect with you offline. Yeah, just do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll have, I'll be happy to answer on that. So well, thank you so much. Thanks, Aditi. Zaman, before we let you go, we do a quick rapid fire, one word, one sentence, three questions. Are you? Oh, I'm bad at that. Okay, <laughs> let's start. <laughs> let's try. Right. The toughest thing about your job. The toughest thing is the daily commute to the office. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You write a lot. You have a blog. One blog or one book that has influenced you the most personally and professionally. I think the one that has really influenced me would be I would say Sapiens, mm-hmm. when they say human beings are stories, not. <laughs> not beings per se so yeah i think that's driven a lot of my 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 thought process in the recent years brilliant who is your most favorite superhero batman that one was easy <laughs> and why why because he doesn't have any superpowers and he hacks his way through brilliant i can see the growth mindset there Great. Thank you very much Daman. This was very interesting, very insightful. I'm sure everybody who's in the room would appreciate your time. So, I hope we can bring you back again for some more AMAs and master classes in the future. I'd love to do that, Pratish. Thanks Thank for having you. me here. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Thanks everyone for joining. As you know that on Tuesday, the Mushir would be doing holding his room with Shrini, which is on fintech and potentially about the Indian fintech ecosystem. and if you're not if you've not followed all the moderators please do so so that you can come up and know when we are moderating or speaking in different rooms related to the topics as well as do follow the club uh, on asian riddle super movers as well as you can sign up on telegram connect with us there on twitter or on linkedin we are available on those three sites thank you very much daman now i'll be closing the room in the next 10 seconds Thank you. Bye guys. If you enjoyed listening to the interview, share it with your network and you can also leave a review on our Twitter page. Our handle is ad supermovers.